in the world of freedom. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Ich bin ein Berliner. This is Radio Goethe Magazine with Arndt Peltner. News and information from the heart of Europe. Hello and welcome to Radio Goethe Magazine. I'm Arndt Peltner. In today's program we take a look at events in Rwanda. So stay tuned. This week, 16 years ago, all hell broke loose in Rwanda. After the president's plane was shot down, the slaughtering of thousands and thousands of Tutsi began. On my trips to Rwanda, I met two women that were affected in different ways by the genocide in that small African country. First, you will hear about Sister Milgita, a Catholic nun who has been living in Kadua since the mid-70s. Rwanda is the land of the Thousand Hills, a beautiful landscape. An old saying in Rwanda is, God comes here to rest in the evening. Kadua is about 130 kilometers southeast of the Rwandan capital Kigali. The highway from Kigali to Gitarama is well built, it winds along the hilly landscape. At Gitarama it becomes a dirt road akin to a riverbed. In first, sometimes second gear, the drive continues. To the left and right of this dirt road are fields that reach high up on the hills. Along the road people are walking and transporting everything imaginable on bicycles, on self-constructed wooden wheelbarrows and on their heads. The few cars, mostly of the Muzungus, the Whites, stand out in contrast. Many stop and watch our four-wheel drive vehicle as we pass. The trip takes us through the district of Niamgabe, a poor area where the average daily income is about $2. People here live from farming, mostly vegetables, bananas, coffee and tea. Kadua is a small town, really more like a village. The Catholic Church is the center of the community. Everyone here knows Sister Milgita, the 75-year-old Clemens nun from Münster, Germany. She has lived here for 36 years. It all started when the Bishop of Butare sent a letter to the Order in Münster asking for support to build up a hospital in Kadua. The Clemens nuns are trained nurses, so they wanted to help. Normally the Order is not involved in missionary work abroad, but Sister Melgita and another sister were soon on their way to Rwanda. First they learned about the people and the country while studying Kinyawanda, the native language, because in Kadua no one spoke English or French. 1974 im November kamen wir hierher und waren in einer kleinen Hütte wie alle anderen. We came here in 1974 and lived in a small hut like everyone else. We cooked our food outside and lived like the Rwandans, maybe a bit better. We had a house out of stone, the others were made out of mud. Today it's all different and developed. We started here very modest and poor, but that's the way it was. My sister cried a lot and wanted to go home, but I said A and I meant A, and I stay and I will try and stay as far as I can. Then she said, if you're staying, I will stay as well. I can't leave you. We will stay together, at least for three years. Then she said, if you say that, 
dann bleibe ich auch hier. Ich kann dich nicht verlassen, wir bleiben zusammen. Zumindest erst mal drei Jahre. The sisters became accustomed to the simple life. No power, no telephone, no TV, no radio, no running water in the huts, cut off from any form of civilization. But Sister Melgita was finally in a place she had always wanted to be, amongst the poor in Africa. The sisters tried to convince their families and friends back home in Germany that they had made the right decision. With lots of strength, energy and commitment, they built up the health center Centre de Santé. Today it is still a very well-functioning clinic that serves the needy from far away. I see myself as a leader of all and as a leader for everything. I'm just seeing myself as a servant for all and everything. I have learned that in the monastery, in the family, with my employees. When I looked to the nurses in the hospitals I had worked in, they had to take care of their families, their parents, but still had to do the hard labor of working of a nurse. I thought to myself, I, as a sister, only have to take care of my patients, look out for my employees, and I have found this here. Once a week, Sister Melgita drives over the bumpy dirt road to Kigali to shop at the German store to see friends and supporters. She is, after all these years, still a German citizen, but in her heart she has become Rwandan as well. The life, the people, the landscape, all this has shaped her in the last 36 years. But talking to the nun, the conversation comes inevitably to the days and weeks of the spring in 1994, when the devil reigned in Rwanda, as Sister Milgita describes the time. Weeks and months before the president's plane was shot down on April 6, 1994, the radio station Milkolin agitated against the Tutsi minority in the country. There were many incidents, including bloody and deadly assaults. People, Tutsi and liberal Hutus alike, fled into the churches. Thousands were seeking protection. You first took out all the church benches because you couldn't sit and lie between them and more and more people were coming. They even cooked in the church, but all were quite nervous. The older ones among them told us they wouldn't leave anymore, they would stay in the church, they knew that they all would be killed. We couldn't believe that, because we didn't see any enemies. We were seeing more and more houses on fire and more people came to us. We didn't know how to cope with this. Could we go on like that? For the radicals in the country, the assassination of the president on the evening of April 6 was the spark for things to come. Oh, four hours, Greenwich Mean Time. The presidents of Rwanda and Burundi in Central Africa have been killed in a plane crash. The slaughtering of the Tutsis began and were carried out with extreme brutality. In only a couple of hours, roadblocks were erected in the capital Kigali. Gangs of killers moved from house to house to find Tutsis and moderate Hutus and butchered them in bloodlust. The murderous events spread like a wave through the country, from city to city, from village to village. The goal for the radical Hutus was the extermination of the Tutsis. On April 20th, the death militias reached Kadua. We were always 
Dann kamen ältere Leute und haben gesagt, nimm du mein Geld und verwahr es mir. We were usually with the people, but at this time we had to leave the church. Some of the elders came to us and wanted to give us their money to keep safe. I said, I can't take the money, we have to take care of the people. But they insisted, saying, we're all gonna die. They began to pray, to sing, saying they would die that night. We couldn't believe it. Around 11 p.m. the bells were ringing. The church, the church grounds, the school, everything was full of refugees. They all prayed together. It was unbearable. It was so sad, so harsh. I can't find the right words to describe this moment. They were brave, staying where they were. Around midnight, the bells rang again. Then we heard them singing the Magnificat. My sister and me were sitting in this house, had to lock ourselves in. Then we heard the screams and had no idea what was happening. Und hört natürlich das Geschrei und das, das ganze Getue und wusste nicht, was, was überhaupt passiert. The room in which we sit is only sparsely lit by the last daylight. On the wall hangs a cross of the crucified Jesus. Sister Melgita speaks and as she talks about those days her body language changes. I had the impression that talking about what she had to witness is good for her. But the traces, the scars that remain are also very obvious. She and the other sister were sitting right here. They heard the shots, the dull hits of the machetes and the screams of the innocent over and over again. Thousands of people were slaughtered on the church grounds in Kadua. Und hier war ein Meer, ein Friedhof mit Leuten. Ich bin die, wir sind die ersten zwei Tage nicht rausgekommen, weil wir Angst hatten und uns kaum bewegen konnten. Es hat furchtbar geregnet. There was a sea of dead bodies, a killing field. We didn't leave the building for two days. We were afraid, couldn't move at all. It was pouring outside. We have this little decline in front of the house and the blood came running down from the church grounds. But we had no idea how it looked there. The third day I stepped outside. The sun was shining. I looked around and saw about 30 people sitting there with spears and machetes, still killing people if someone moved. I went outside, prayed to God to stay with me. I went to the church and saw mountains of dead bodies, one above the other. You couldn't get into the church, everything was full of corpses. Suddenly a woman under a pile of bodies yelled out my name, Milgita. I was so scared. There was a living woman under the dead, lifting up her head. We had to move all the bodies off her. I told my workers to get aboard so we can take her. But then a group of militia came and chased us away. We just heard how they beat on the head of the woman and killed her as well. In just 100 days, nearly one million people were butchered in Rwanda. The world looked away from this tragedy, a tragedy that took place in the official year of the family. An official Rwandan government study confirms the magnitude of the genocide. About one million dead, 97.3% of them Tutsi. 37.9% were killed by machetes. 16.8% clubbed to death, 14.8% shot, 8% beaten to death, 4% drowned in latrines, the rest were burned alive, dismembered, hanged, raped to death, forced to commit suicide or run over. 
Im Moment, als ich die vielen Leute, die vielen abgeschlachteten Leute vor mir sah, habe ich mich gefragt, ist überhaupt der Herrgott noch zugegen? In this moment, when I saw those many brutally killed and slaughtered people, I asked myself, is God still present? Is God still alive? Where is he? Why did he let this happen? Why did we survive? I can't describe it. Still today, I think about it. How could God let this happen? How could the people or bishops or priests, majority of the Hoodoo, who were good Christians, why did they go along with this and kill randomly? I can't understand this and I can't think of it too much. But the nun didn't just have to find support and answers for herself. It's true, I told those around me that our first role model is Jesus. Everywhere we see Christ on the cross as a dead corpse on the cross, wounded, beaten and killed. He died for all of us. Does the world maybe need a new Christ? Were these people like the one Christ who died for all of us? And all these people died for him. Sister Melgita was flown out after plans to kill her surfaced. But she didn't stay long in Germany. As soon as the situation calmed down in Rwanda, she returned. Ich hätte nach dem Krieg ja zu Hause bleiben können. Viele sagen, Warum bist du nicht zu Hause? Warum gehst du da wieder zurück? Was soll das eigentlich? I could have stayed home after the war. Many said, why don't you stay? Why do you want to get back? What's the purpose of it? I could have stayed in Germany. My relatives wanted that. But I had the urge to get back, even if there was nothing left. I had to come back to bolster the survivors, to give them hope, the children, the people I used to take care of, to help them get back onto the path, to find again a way into life. That was my wish, and that the people are able to live again peacefully together. Das war einfach mein Wunsch. Und der erste Wunsch auch, dass die Leute wieder friedlich zusammenkommen. Das war mein großer her return and her belief gave the people in Kadua some needed support. It was a new beginning after a horrific and still lingering nightmare. And 100 nights when God didn't come to rest in Rwanda.
Eugenie Musaidir is a Rwandan woman with a German passport who lived in Germany during the time of the genocide in 1994. But she was affected. Family members were also killed. She went back to Rwanda and started a reconciliation project. Today she focuses on a new idea. I met her in Kigali and went with her on a trip to Gitarama. The Hotel de Milcolin became famous through the movie Hotel Rwanda. Currently it's being renovated. Another construction site like so many others in booming Kigali, the capital of Rwanda. In the hotel garden I'm sitting across from Eugene Mosaidia, who received the City of Nuremberg's Human Rights Award in 2007. She says she was very surprised about the award because many people in her home country worked on reconciliation after the genocide in 1994. She doesn't want to talk more about the award in Nuremberg, rather she wants to focus on the things she's doing now. Oh, four hours, Greenwich Mean Time. The presidents of Rwanda and Burundi in Central Africa have been killed in a plane crash. But focusing on the present is not easy in a country that just 15 years ago resembled a slaughterhouse. After the Rwandan president's plane crashed on April the 6th, 1994, Rwanda became a bloodbath. Up to one million people, mostly Tutsis and moderate Hutus, were brutally murdered in just a hundred days. Tens of thousands of bloated corpses floated into Victoria Lake in the east. The thousands of Tutsis that fled to churches and chapels in the hope of finding a safe refuge were beaten, stabbed, shot and annihilated by unscrupulous and angry Hutu militias. The brutality knew no bounds. Even small children and babies weren't spared. They were thrown against walls until they died or in the hospital of Kadua they were held up by their legs like rabbits and slaughtered with a machete. Even today you can't escape these images in Rwanda. You meet people who tell you these gruesome stories and share their experiences from the time. And then, walking through Kigali and looking around at people, you ask yourself, what did this one, or that one, or that one over there do 15 years ago? Was he a perpetrator, a refugee? Did he watch or just look away? Eugenie Musaidir has dealt with this question intensively. She was living in Germany in 1994 when she got the news that her mother had been killed. I as a Rwandan, I ask myself, I know the murderer of my mother. He's in prison, he got sentenced, but still I fear meeting him. But others here live next to each other. They get their water from the same water station, they go to church together. Life goes on, and I think, but this is just an assumption, that all of them, perpetrators and victims, lived through such horrible times, that they just want to live in peace. Maybe what happened here is a lesson to say never again. Eugenie Musaidir sits in the garden of the Hotel de Milcolin, zips on her African tea and describes what she feels with soft voice. She talks about her belief, her hopes, her conviction that the events of 1994 won't happen again. I don't think it will happen again, like I said before. No, I don't think it will happen again. It's not just hoping, there are also signs that this won't happen again. I think, and I'm quite sure, that it won't happen again. Or is it just hope? 
No, I believe it. Everyone wants peace. I think it won't happen again. Eugenie Musaidia is a devout woman who wants to help wherever she can. You can feel that, talking to her. The Children's Center and the school project in Nianza, both of which she has worked on over the past years, have been completed. She says the children grew up, her work is done. Now she looks ahead and has found a new project with which to get involved. A little background, last year in March a TV crew from Germany was here for a documentary. And we traveled all over the country and visited a prison in Gitarama as well. And there I saw a little girl in a red dress. I won't forget this. She was about three years old and just walked around there. I asked what this girl is doing there and was told she lives there with her mother who was sentenced. Meaning, incarcerated women who have small children have the children with them. The kids are locked up as well. She tries to knock on doors for support and money for the children's center on the grounds of the prison. She turns to UNICEF churches and other public providers in Germany because she believes that the children of Rwanda are the future of that country. The burden of the past and the hope of the future rests on their shoulders so that history will not repeat itself. If a child grows up in prison, that is kind of the first step towards the next genocide or the next brutality between the generations. Maybe if you want, we should visit it to see it for yourself. Eugenie Musaidir makes it possible. An appointment two days later at an office of the Interior Ministry opens the gates of the prison. Just an hour later, we are on our way to Gitarama, a small city just 40 kilometers west of Kigali. More than 8,000 prisoners are housed here, many of them for crimes committed during the genocide in the spring of 1994. The prison consists of several rundown houses, huts and structures behind a holy chain link fence with barbed wire on the top for no obvious reason. A friendly prison director is already waiting for us, serves drinks and describes the situation and the daily routine. The communication is in Kinyavanda, French and English. Eugenie Musaidia translates and explains things to me whenever language problems occur. I'm recording with a hidden microphone. And here, this is the normal strafe. And then we're walking over to the women's block. A padlock is opened on a steel door to what looks like a storage hut. Suddenly, ten shaven women's heads are looking out. Eugenie Musaidia is joyfully greeted. I don't understand a word and just follow her into the darkness of the room. A shocking image. Three stories of wooden cots, which remind me of the barracks in concentration camps. Bags and towels are above these cots. The women look down at us from everywhere. Some are smiling, others are laughing out loud about the Muzungu, the white. Some are just looking away distraught. 
And there are children, small children, who are joyfully running towards Eugenie Musaidia. Behind the barrack is the courtyard, and above the door to the courtyard is a Barack Obama bag with this picture on it and the phrase, Yes, we can. The courtyard offers an even more disturbing image than the room behind me. Dozens and dozens of women are standing next to each other in this overcrowded space. Old and young ones, all shaven. Most of them dressed in orange, some in pink. Orange means sentenced, pink stands for still waiting for the trial. A couple of women walk over to Eugenie Musaidia, who help us as she explains. They gather the children, taking them by their hands through the yard. Some women are reading the Bible, a group stands together and is singing. Women are talking to each other, laughing. It is loud, it is crowded, and yes, it is inhumane. Later I am told that the women in this block won't leave it at all during their detention. They remain there the entire time with 450 others living in misery. The children like to come along with us. They laugh and walk aside Eugenie Musaidia and her helpers in orange and pink. The first stop is a small building close by where they stretch and sing a bit. Then they walk towards the fence. They like that, Musaidia says. The little ones watch the people and cars going by. Some pedestrians stop on the outside and look at the imprisoned children. An absurd situation. The kids take the hands of their Muzungu and lead him towards a dusty and open space where Eugenie Musaidia plans to build the children's center. After half an hour, the kids are brought back to the front door of the barrack. Loudly, they run into the dark, trying to find their mothers amongst all those women. Shortly after, I'm sitting with Eugenie Musaidia and her helpers on two benches under a tree. Behind us, the prison kitchen, where corn porridge is cooked in huge pots for the 8,000 prisoners. The women start to pray. After a couple of minutes, Eugenie Musaidia asks them to tell me about themselves. One after another begins. Name, reason for incarceration and how long they will be here. One word is repeated over and over again. Genocide. 14, 22, 24, 27 years for life. How do you cope with these circumstances, I'm asking. They are smiling about the question. They know why they are here, one says. We acknowledge our guilt, we atone, and we hope for forgiveness.
That was today's Radio Goethe magazine. Thanks for listening and please find me online at radiogoethe.org, on MySpace or on Facebook. I'm Arndt Peltner.